everybody, and welcome to the next edition of the Dago Law Group Guardian Mindset Podcast. Apologize, my voice is a little raspy today, and uh, we're, we're actually doing our podcast live from Mohegan Sun Casino in Uncasville, Connecticut, uh, where Dago Law Group is proud this week to host uh, the Use of Force Summit, which is an annual event that focuses on three intense days of policy, legal, training, physiological, human factor analysis, and uh, on use of force and talking and getting the greatest minds that I can find together into one area. And so yesterday I did a whole day of training, which is why I now sound like I smoked uh, a pack of cigarettes uh, for the last hour. <clears throat> yeah, I apologize. Um, and I know I'm a little bit off normal because I always start my podcast off with a, uh, with a quote, but this week we're not going to do that because I'm going to jam in a bunch of the best of the best while I have them all trapped in Oakusville, Connecticut. That is before uh, they spend too much time at the gaming tables, uh, and it's here. Now, listen, the benefit here is we want to make sure that, uh, that you're getting a good feedback. So today I'm honored in, uh, to have attorney Eric Astapenis. Um, yes, Astapenis is his last name, and I don't even bother trying to spell that. Um, but I got to tell you a little story, and that is, most of you know I've been around for way too long. And uh, as you tramp this country, uh, you get to meet uh, a ton of people. In fact, I tell you all the time that the best part about this job is the men and women I get to meet every day as I go out on the street. I mean, it really makes, uh, I can't imagine doing any other job um, and not having that opportunity. But uh, it's got to be, uh, what, Eric, about 15 years ago, 12 yeah, years ago, yeah. yeah. So uh, one of the annual events that uh, chiefs go to is called the International Chiefs of Police Association. And um, uh, every year I train at the IACP, and it's a, it's a big show, thousands of police executives. And, and <clears throat> I see this uh, a police chief from Massachusetts, which is where Eric is from, and uh, uh, his father uh, is a former police chief and an awesome guy. And uh, there's this, this kid with him, right? There's just damn millennial. So I'm like, hey. and, and uh, as I'm, I, his father says, hey, I'd like to introduce you. And, he, and I introduce, and just the nicest guy, straightforward. The only one thing about Eric is he's, he's just happy. He, I, don't, I don't know why. I think it might be a, um, this might be a you know, it's got some issues. <laughs> he's always happy. Issues, right? yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, yeah, I want to be a lawyer. Okay, well, you can listen. You know how many people tell me they want to be a loyal lawyer? A lot. Uh, so he's great. Well, good luck. And if you need anything, let me know. Yeah. And then a couple of years go by, and he's back again. And I'm like, is this going to be a common thing? Or is it mm. back again? And he's like, yeah, I'm in law school. I'm like, well, awesome. And, you know, I really want to get into this police thing. I'm like, okay, well, if I can do anything to help you, let me know. And a couple of years go by again, and he's out of law school. And he's doing lawyer work, but he's, he's doing regular lawyer work. And lawyer work is really not good no uh, so no. <laughs> he's like i want to get more into law enforcement and i gotta tell you what i love about eric is he had a goal and he saw his goal he saw his vision um he's not never been on the job um but he i think he cares more about the job than some people that i've met that have been on the job and so I am happy and honored to introduce you to Eric Aspenis. Welcome, Eric. How are you? Thank you very much, Eric. I'm honored to be here. I'm doing fantastic. Having an awesome summit so far, so can't wait for the rest of it. I heard your class yesterday. You, uh, 
Uh, Eric is one of our instructors here, and he taught bystander liability, which we'll get into in a second. But uh, I heard it went really well. Happy? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Great class. A lot of awesome professionals there. Um, we had some great discussions, really kind of got into the nitty gritty of, of duty to intervene and bystander liability. Good stuff. All right. Well, let's start with the basics just before the listeners. And that is just give me a little bit back, uh, about your background. How'd you get here? And, and because, you know, most of our listeners, we hope are, you know, they're, they're hardworking men and women that are looking for the way forward. And, and we'd like to show some of it. So. Absolutely. So uh, like Eric said, I kind of started out stalking him at IACP. Um, <laughs> luckily, he didn't file a, any sort of order against me, but um, I, it was funny. I literally was, you know, it, it is. Yeah. No, we're, I employ we're a little close now. So. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, here's the here's the deal. I I grew up in a law enforcement family. Um, I want to be a cop from a young age. And like any of you who have children, um, what's the one thing you tell your kids not to do? Don't become a cop. Like you can do anything else, but don't become a cop. So that's what my dad told me. Um, so sure enough, I said, well, fine. I want to be a lawyer that works with police because, um, you know, I tried my hand in the DA's office, and for me, that was just. It didn't really seem like I was doing much. It wasn't like I was effectuating any change, really helping the profession. And so I love, love Team Blue all the way. And I said, what can I do to kind of help them? Um, and sure enough, I see Eric Daigle doing his thing up on stage. And you all know him. He's got a lot of, lot of stage presence, a lot of charisma. And I was immediately drawn in. I, I just loved it. And I was like, oh, my God, I want to do something like that. That, sound, that looks amazing. Um, and so sure enough, as I got out of law school, I started practicing. We started doing some work together. And I think it was maybe five, six years ago. Here we are on stage at IACP together. And that was like, really came full circle for me. Like, holy crap. I, I was just watching him like a few years ago thinking, hey, I want to do this. And here I am with my mentor on stage with him in, in this national stage, which is fantastic. So it's, it's been an absolute blast. Um, you know, right now I serve as the general counsel for the Mass Chiefs of Police Association, um, obviously in Massachusetts. Don't hold that against me. I know Eric likes to say that there's the right way, the wrong way, and the Massachusetts, Massachusetts way. way. Yeah, so um, don't hold that against me, but um, it's, it's certainly a challenge. You know, we have 351 municipalities. We have nearly 60 or so campus law enforcement agencies. And although we don't serve all of them, um, certainly we serve a, a, a majority of them. Um, and so we get to deal with chiefs across the entire Commonwealth dealing with a whole bunch of different issues, whether it be crim pro or crim law related or one of my specialties is employment law. Um, and particularly with, with uh, police reform this year, uh, getting into post. That's right, Massachusetts now finally has post. I think we're one of four states that didn't have it until <laughs> recently, but um, we've, we've caught up now. Uh, but trying to work through all of those changes is certainly a, a, lot, to, a lot to do. Um, in my spare time, I do consulting and training with, with Eric. Um, and I also serve on uh, the board of directors for the Municipal Police Institute in Massachusetts along with um, the secretary now for the legal officer section um, through IACP. And I'm also still a member for the IACP Human and Civil Rights Committee as well. So um, that's kind of where I'm renewed? coming from. I just got renewed. Yeah, I just I got, got my letter. Too, so. I was happy to see that. Yeah. I didn't get the boot. So that's good. <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> you hit on a couple of things that are very important. And, and the key, what we want to talk about, I want to talk about two things with you. So the the one thing that is important, and we've talked about this in other podcasts to the listeners, is that there's expertise. Everybody's got expertise. Listen, Eric's expertise is is employment law, but he's got some special nuances because of his uh, of his age and because of what he appreciates. And, and so we're going to start with social media. 
Well, there we go. <laughs> you know, you, your your presentation uh, is is you know the I love it. Haters and trolls and and social media application and so you know the the, the difficult challenge. Let's assume that the those listening to this podcast uh, are the people that can download it. So they they're a problem. <laughs> they know social media. So we don't have to <laughs> define that. They, they got an Instagram account and a social right. media account, and they're wasting most of their day on TikTok. So yeah, uh, but. Ugh. But um, if you could, and that is because I think what's important is for me, I try to tell the new officers, listen, nobody's saying you can't have social media. Right. right? Yeah. And, and what I tell the younger officers is what you put in one of your presentations, one, which is it, it's not that you can't have social media. You just don't do stupid stuff with social yeah, media. Yeah, don't do stupid stuff. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. what advice could you give young officers about the parameters and, and how they can separate their personal life from their work life? still have a personal life with social media mm. but not put themselves in a credibility issue so the the key to social media is don't do something stupid and and as the, as my first amendment guru what advice do you give young officers for trying to live in those both those worlds having a personal account with a with a with a, with a job that puts them in the limelight where it could cause them you know failure if they they do something stupid yeah, absolutely. So um, first off, I mean, here's the thing. I, I got to admit, back in law school, um, I would sit through con law and um, I remember doing the classes on like First Amendment, thinking to myself, like, I'm again, never going to need this shit. Like, why am I ever going to need First Amendment law? And so sure enough, here I am like 11 years later teaching First Amendment all the time. Um, and so because I'm the resident millennial, albeit I've been told I'm a geriatric millennial now yes. because I'm on the back end of it, but I'm, I'm an old millennial. Um, but I, I've kind of been tasked with like, you know, looking at, laughed. Like, I know I, I saw him laugh. He's just like, uh, you old, old guy. Over here. <laughs> um, you know, so like I got kind of tasked with dealing with, okay, we have first amendment issues. Right. Um, and how does that apply online? And it's something that we've been watching for years. It's not like a new topic. We've been watching this since like 2015 and even prior to that point. Um, and, and so we know from all of the cases that what we do online as public officials has first amendment implications and that the first amendment rights aren't simply lost, right. By, by putting on the badge, just because you join public service doesn't mean you lose all of your rights, but they are different, right? They're not, they're not like, you know, everyone else's first amendment rights. So there's certain tests that you have to be aware of. Now, before I say like what you should do, um, you know, I, I wish I could just sum it up and say, don't do stupid things. Like don't post stupid things, you know, uh, just have common sense. But the problem with that is common sense isn't all that common anymore. Someone just said that literally the other day and I was like, I'm stealing that. That's perfect. Um, but the, the problem is, is that like, we can't really sum that up. That's not a constitutional test to say, don't post stupid things online. Um, so what we have to do is say like, hey, if you're gonna post something, make sure it's not related to your official job duties, make sure it touches on a public concern and make sure that it's something that isn't going to um, impugn the integrity of the department or uh, somehow be detrimental to department operations or uh, somehow not like denigrate the, uh, you know, the mutual working relationships with other agencies. What ultimately it comes down to, and Eric, I think you kind of hit the, one of the key words is like credibility, right? So imagine for instance, that you're testifying on the stand would you want the defense attorney or whoever whoever the opposing counsel is to put one of your Instagram posts, your TikToks, your Snapchats, your whatever, up on a big screen in front of the jury and point to it and say, hey, officer so-and-so, did you post this? 
and you have to answer it and say, yes, I did. If you don't feel comfortable with that being put before a jury, probably just don't post it. Don't post it, you know? Be really, really careful about that because everything you put out there is out there for good. You can hit delete all you want, but as soon as it's out, someone will grab it, someone will screenshot it, whatever the case is. You can never retract that. You can't. So be super careful about what you post because not only could it impugn your integrity going on the stand, it could potentially impugn your ability or, or impede your ability to get a job moving forward. Because in most states or, or a fair amount of states, there are either no laws or permissive laws, which will allow us to do um, a, a search of your social media during your background check. So we're going to be looking through that, you know, and, and there was the incident out in Gainesville PD uh, a few years back where there was the officer that posted some really anti-Semitic posts um, a couple of years prior to him coming on the job. And it wasn't discovered until after he was on the job. So that's all stuff that we could, we terminated. could find. He was terminated at that point. Yeah. But it's, it's a matter of like weeding out people to begin with. So be careful about what you post online. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have it, it, you know, it's amazing to watch some of Eric's classes uh, um, and what you just, you went through a little test there and just so everybody understands that, that that's uh, the, the, that's the legal threshold, the, the picker, pickering test. Yeah. That, and that's how, the department will have to determine whether or not you had a first amendment protection to what you posted if they tried to take disciplinary action against you as a department. And, and you know, another thing that you didn't, that you talked on, which is important. And we say this often is, you know, take a minute and read your social media policy. Yeah. You know, know what you can do and when you can't do. It. And I will tell you, if I, if you were to ask me in vice, I would give you one very set piece of advice. Never post anything while you are working. Right. While right. you are receiving a paycheck from a government entity, do not post on social media because, you know, it's just going to give you more drama. It's going to give you more challenges along the way. The one caveat I would say, because I know there's at least a couple officers out there who say, wait, well, but I'm a PIO. Okay. If you're a PIO and you're authorized, that's, your job. that's fine. Okay. Yeah. That's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah. I pre thank you for clarifying yeah. that. And so, um, um, and, and I'm always glad you said that about, it's always going to be out there because in some of the classes, when you give presentations, you talk about, you, you show, you know, Snapchats and, and everybody's like, well, how, how, how do we have that in the training program? Well, doesn't it disappear? And like, cause I'm, I'm old. I'm like, you know, I thought it disappeared. And like, yeah, it does. Unless mm -hmm. somebody takes a picture of it. Yeah. You can scream grab that for sure. So, so we're going to, we'll definitely have more as we get closer to the first amendment summit yeah. uh, and talking about social media needs. But since you're my guru on that and, and you do an amazing class on it, uh, I, I wanted to touch on that. So let's talk about what you did here. Sure. And so um, you uh, took on the uh, unenviable task of talking about a subject that is, is hot and, <laughs> and not easy. Right, uh, yeah. And we call that, at least in the concept of bystander liability, legally it's called failure to intervene. Mm -hmm. and, um, and one of the things that I, I've seen in the newer generation um, is that there seems to be a philosophy out there that, you know, hey, Eric, if I didn't do it, it's not my fault. Yeah. I, if I'm just, I, I didn't, I didn't sit on his back. I didn't, I didn't punch him. I didn't do that. I don't have a responsibility for doing that. Mm -hmm. And you put together an amazing class on bystander liability. And uh, if, you, if you had to summarize that up, um, just to give some advice. Um, well, I, I mean, and, and I'll be honest before I even let you do that. It bothers me a hundred percent because one of the things that, the reason why I'm still here and successful is because I worked with men and women that protected me. 
Right. Right. You know, like it just, you and I are friends and you get involved in a situation where your emotion's too high or you're not seeing things clearly or mm-hmm. you're pissed off. And if I really, if you're really my partner, my friend, I would be like, dude, I got you. Step back. Right. It's my turn. Exactly. Yeah. So what did you, what was the, the context to your class and what were the key issues that you, that you spoke about yesterday. Sure, yeah. So um, obviously, like the duty to intervene, right? That's not a new topic. It's not some protean revolutionary thing. We've had this since like the 70s. There was a Seventh Circuit decision out of the 70s, Bird versus Brischke, where it's clearly established that, look, officers present and observing excessive use of force need to step in and do something about it. So there's no, I mean, this isn't something new. I know it seems like it because it's become like the topic of conversation around every dinner table across the nation, right? Especially with the eight can't wait campaign and police reform. You know, I, I swear, like I'm, I'll flip a table if I hear another legislator attempt to tell me or any of my officers what qualified immunity is, what de-escalation is, or what the duty to intervene is. I'm like, I'll just be flipping tables left and right. Try me crazy just, yeah and no, i know i know mess up the recording equipment that's not good bystander liability yeah so i got this. so he's gonna yeah he's gonna intervene i like that that's good um so it's not like a new thing it's just it's it's something that's been around forever um so some of the stuff that we talked about is that like when we when we look at the duty to intervene right there's a hesitance to intervene and one of the things we started out with talking about is that psychologically speaking and i know everyone's getting nervous now because a legal guy is going into the psychological realm but um i i've i've read the research by much smarter people than my own uh, than myself rather and i just rely on that so uh for instance we have dr Irvin staub who uh he's a survivor of the holocaust he's done a phenomenal research on active bystandership and duty to in- intervene um we also have dr um aroni and um some other amazing uh individuals working for the georgetown able program and they show that your brain is kind of working against you with getting involved, right? There's certain inhibitors that stop us from getting involved. And so we talked about what some of those are. We talked about how, you know, they've done studies where if you take one person who's involved in the study and an outsider and put them in a room kind of like where, where we are today, and then in the next room, there's sounds of distress. If the person involved in the study says nothing at all, only 25% of those individuals in that room will go to check out what's going on next door. Meaning they think someone's hurt, they're gonna go check it out. Only 25%. But if the, that's super low. But if that other person steps up and says, hey, we should go check that out, that other person will go over there to check that out 100% of the time. So there's so many things working against us automatically. Um, and we talked about that within the training. So it's not something that like you should feel bad about um, not doing automatically. It's something that we should recognize. It's kind of like implicit bias, right? We went through that training for years and years, and we all realize we have implicit biases. And that's fine as long as those biases don't impact what we do. So the same is true for bystander liability We kind of or bystandership. We need to figure out like, why do I not want to take action? And then begin to change the way our minds work to start to take action. We also talked about the legal issues involved. We talked about how um, there's, a, there's a nexus between bystander liability and Section 1983 liability um, because Section 1983 is just a federal tort claim, right? So you can be held liable under tort liability for misfeasance, malfeasance, or nonfeasance. Right. Nonfeasance literally is the duty to intervene. So we talked about those cases. We kind of went across the country with those cases. 
And I think what's particularly helpful for the officers to be aware of is like, there's a whole bunch of stuff on the news and the media and our legislators saying one thing or another as to like what is and is not the duty to intervene. But they have to look at the cases and the cases are pretty solid in favor of the officers. You know, it's, it's a high standard. It is. It's a very high standard. There's not only do they have to be present and observing it, but they have to have a reasonable opportunity to take action, right? A realistic opportunity. So like if there was a case we're talking about, the Godro versus uh, Salem case, where officers were taking somebody into custody during a bar fight and one of the officers got injured in the process. So now what happens, right? Well, now this, this guy needs to pay the tax because he injured an officer. So he's in the booking area and I'm not condoning paying the tax. I'm just saying that to be clear. Well, you <laughs> I'm just saying what it is. Um, the individual's in the booking area, handcuffed, and an unknown officer, well, we know who they are now, but comes out of nowhere, smacks the guy with a baton and then kicks him in the head. Um, now, the question was whether the other officers present had a realistic opportunity to intervene, and they didn't because it was a matter of seconds. Like, it was, dude, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, so by the time they could step in, it was already done, right? It wasn't like the Figueroa versus Maza case out of the Second Circuit where NYPD took a, a, a child predator into custody, put him in the back of the cruiser. We had two officers in the front seat of the cruiser. Another unknown officer comes into the back, starts beating the, uh, the subject, um, punching him several times. And the evidence showed that that, that beating lasted approximately anywhere from 20 seconds to two minutes. Well, in that case, if it's more like two minutes, yeah, you're going to have a realistic opportunity. But you know, like 10 seconds, maybe not. Yeah. Um, so we talked about those and we talked about how like as supervisors, if you are a supervisor, you should be showing your officers and educating them on these cases so they can actually see um, what these cases look like. So they're not scared away from that. It's, it's not something that, that needs to be, um, you know, a career ender for somebody just because all of a sudden they think this new topic of, of intervening has, has come to fruition. It's been around for a whole while. <laughs> it's, it's human nature. It is. It is. Yeah. We're going to have to get you to put that all down to a, an article so we can put that out. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Put that on sure. your to-do list, which I know is on. <laughs> I'll put it on there for sure. But uh, the, the, you know, the overall um, aspect in, in, in for us, our job is often to uh, give advice to executives. And, you know, a lot of times officers are not involved in those discussions. They don't understand the why. Right. And, and the challenges. So one of the questions I'll ask you is just, you know, if, if somebody came up to you, you know, like you did to me years ago, said, listen, I want to have a successful career. I want to, I want to, you know, I want to be here for a long time. I want to be a police chief somewhere. I want to, I want to do things the right way. Mm. You know, what should I do and how should I do it to make myself the best police officer out there? Well, what advice would you give that, 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 that old you? <laughs> the old me, yeah. um, training, 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 um, get out there, learn as much as you can. Um, anytime you think, you know, everything, you're just scratching the surface. And I'm saying that myself inclusive. Um, yeah. It's a constant process. Uh, becoming a successful law enforcement professional isn't a linear uh, thing. It's not like, you know, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, I guess there is an end technically when we all pass. But the, 
don't want to go so morbid. Um, yeah, like something I said. But but like we need to think of it as there is an end. There is an end. We need to think of it more as like a journey. Okay, so continuing this journey and and trying to progress in your profession requires that you constantly remain up to date with what's going on. So that requires you to go to training. It requires you to read articles. It requires you to read cases. And I know sometimes it's onerous and it's difficult. Um, it's a pain to kind of slog through uh, through court cases. But luckily, you have amazing resources like Eric, for instance, um, Eric Daigle, that is, uh, who is able to take. You're not a bad resource yourself. Yeah, I don't know, but um, the, you know, who's able to take these these awfully boring cases and make them dynamic and interesting. You know, um, he can take like a boring Supreme Court case and when he's on stage bring that dynamic uh, kind of approach to it to make you feel like you're in it so really open yourself up to getting as much information as possible and just try to remain um, in in the know you know all of the chiefs that kind of uh, that get burnt out they they tend to just stop trying to keep up with what's going on and law enforcement right now is very much like technology. It's advancing so quickly. So over the years, it's been slow to advance. And I'm not, I'm not crapping on law enforcement at all. It's an amazing profession. And um, I've, I've just been noticing it lately. Just to add to that, it's like, yeah, it, it, we use the word advancing. But the key is aspect is that we're, we are slow and methodical. And, yeah. and maybe we're just a little too slow and methodical. Yes, I, I would agree. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's, it's very it's tough to say like, okay, we got to take 10 steps forward. Well, we'll take like one and see how that feels. And then two and see how that feels. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll just be very, very careful. We'll take another one. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So we are, I mean, the, the profession is progressing exponentially right now. So just try to stay up to date with everything that's going on. And then talk to one another. Don't, don't isolate yourself. You know, particularly as an executive, um, you are in a different role now. So if you're new to the stars on your, on your um, lapel and, you know, the scrambled eggs on your hat, then I got to tell you, you're going to find yourself in a very different position that you were in prior to that point. You know, you probably have less friends now. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, you're, you have a target on your back whether from your officers or from the politicians above you, um, and you're kind of on an island. So reach out to your peers, reach out to fellow chiefs or fellow managers or fellow executives around you. Figure out how you can um, work together to figure out the best practices moving forward. Figure out how you can keep your agency happy, your, your morale um, up, so that way you at least don't have to face that challenge figure out how to work with your local politicians you know, i tell chiefs all the time it is a political role you can tell me all day long that i'm not a politician yeah guess what you're a politician you are you may hate it i get it but you're a politician so you got to be able to know how to play that game and and pivot when you need to awesome hey you know eric one thing i just want to make sure that i say that uh it's been it's definitely been a joy watching you progress over the years to um, to what I think is a very high class standard of, and and what I really love is I love your uh, I love your love of the job I love your I love your enthusiasm I love your your desire you know and, and that's that's something that I see a lot in myself and I and I see a lot in you and it's always an honor for me to have you uh, involved in any DLG uh, application that we do and and you always got to seat at our table anytime because well, 
what you do for law enforcement. And I really, really appreciate that. So thank you so much, brother. I, I appreciate that. And the honor is all mine. It's, it's an honor to be here, even sitting here doing a podcast with you. It's, it's great. It's an honor to, to be able to reach out and, and chat with all of the men and women out there who get up every day and, and put on the uniform and put on the badge and continue to, to kind of fight through. Um, you know, I've, I've always been very, very respectful for each and every one of you for your daily sacrifice and, and your service to our communities. Um, you are, I'm in your debt. And so um, I've made one promise clear that as long as you continue to show up every day and, and fight for us and put on the uniform and, and keep on doing the amazing job you're doing, I will keep getting up every day and doing what I can to support you and to serve you in any way that I can. So thank you to each and every one of you and stay safe out there. Awesome, mate. You know, thanks for being part of the team. And I'll end this as I always do. I help those who need your help. Protect those who need your protection. And most importantly, keep yourself and others safe. Thank you.